Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Amen. I'm looking forward to learning about what it means to be more than a conqueror and understanding all that God has for every one of us. And so take your Bible. You're there in Romans chapter number eight, and we're going to, uh, to be there in just a moment. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, I don't like to lose. Who's, who's, who's with me? You don't like losing. Okay, good. Uh, losing in our family, and by, by, by that statement, losing in our family, I mean my, my parents and my sisters, losing in our family... Um, no one likes it. As a matter of fact, our family has been so competitive over the years that um, you find yourself completely humiliated if you lose. And uh, with my dad, my sisters, and often my mom, it's just a humiliating thing when you lose something. And to, to show you how much our family doesn't like to lose, I was gonna show you a video, but my sister would kill me. So I'm just going to explain to you the scenario. How many of you know the game Spoons? You've played the game Spoons. If you haven't, the game Spoons, it's a card game. There's spoons lined out on a, on a table, and you're trying to collect four of a kind. You start with just a huge stack of cards. It's about you know 10 or 12 or 15 or 25 decks of cards. I mean, it's just as much as you can get, and you're just in a circle around the table, and you're just trying to pick up cards as fast as you can and get four of a kind. The person who gets the four of a kind first grabs a spoon. Everybody else, as soon as you see someone grab a spoon, you grab a spoon. The only thing is there's one spoon less than there are people. So somebody's gonna be without a spoon, and they're gonna be out of the game, and you just do that until it's down to two people, and then you have a champion. Well, our family will play spoons every now and then, and there was a, a time about five years ago that we were all playing spoons, and uh, this was me and my, my parents and Hannah and uh, my sister and her five kids and uh, the two spouses at the time and her husband. So there was, there was about 15 or 17 of us, all the kids were playing, about 15 or 17 of us, all playing spoons at this huge counter that my sister had at their house at that time. And we're going through and playing spoons and everybody's grabbing their spoons. It came down to one final spoon and my sister and my niece, so my sister and her daughter, they both lunged for the spoon. They grab the spoon, both of them in their hand, and they are fighting over the spoon. And it was, at first, it was just a tug of war. That's all it was, just kind of going back and forth, back and forth. But then things ramped up. And I have the video to prove it, that they both ended up, my sister at the time was probably, let's see, she was probably 43. And my niece was, what is she, 20? She was probably 22 or 23. And they are just wrestling over this spoon. No longer is it a tug of war. They are laying on the ground, 
wrestling around over this spoon. Everybody's pulling phones out and videoing. And I have the video on my computer and I watched it. I showed Robert yesterday. I was like, you got to come here and watch this just so you know I'm telling the truth. And uh, you hear in the background, come on, mom, come on, Carly. You hear that. And then you hear, bite her, bite her, punch her, punch her, shove her, shove her, poke her eyes out. You know, all the families just getting in it. They're going crazy. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's a minute and 40 seconds long. They're just wrestling on the ground over this, over a spoon until finally, finally, my sister, the mom, she wrestles it out of Carly's arms and she stands up. She's going, woo, you know, jumping up and down. And my niece just looks at her and goes, wham, and just, I mean, just hammers her. And Dawn fly, you're like, you're making this up. I have the video footage. She pushes her into the door, bam, and she drops the spoon. And you hear my nephew, Carly's brother, Levi, go, get the spoon, get the spoon. And all of a sudden, you see Carly dive in. And that's when the video stopped because I was like, this is carnage, man. Someone's going to end up with blood. Uh, that just goes to show our family, like losing, you just don't want to lose. My sister and I, we, as a matter of fact, still to this day, if we play a game um, and it's very competitive, we'll, we'll make a little wager. And we don't bet on money and things like that. We bet on humiliation because that's a better currency. And so a couple years ago, we were playing a game and she was, she was talking smack, you know, she was, you know, talking smack is just being very arrogant. Oh, I can beat you. I got this and all that. And you're a loser. And I said, you're not going to call me a loser. I'm going to waste you on this game. And I said, you know what? I'm going to beat you so bad. Let's do this. Whoever loses, the other person gets to write loser on a big piece of paper, and you have to hold it in front of your face for a picture. And then we get to post it to social media. She was like, oh, that's great. Your church is going to love seeing you hold a sign that says loser. I was like, it ain't going to happen. And I forget what game we were playing, but I won, of course. And I have that picture to prove it too, because my sister's going, no, I'm not going to hold the sign. No, no, I'm not. So I have a blurry picture, but you can see Don's head and the sign that says loser. You know what? The truth is that everybody, I don't, I don't know anybody that really uh, likes to lose. I don't know anybody that plays a game to lose. I really don't know anybody that honestly just likes to be called loser. Remember that in school? Remember when uh, that one kid on the playground would just call you loser or they did the, you know, the L symbol to you? Yeah, you're just a loser. Man, you want to punch that kid in the face. I want to let him have, I'm not a loser. You know, no one likes to be called it. And this morning, I want to tell you something that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the name loser can never apply to you. The phrase defeated is never yours to claim. Because the Bible clearly says that we as his children, we are more than conquerors. It's an incredible portion of scripture, and I want you to see it with me this morning. So if you would, take your Bible and stand, and let's turn to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read Romans chapter 8, verse 31, down through verse number 39. <clears throat> and we're going to discover some things this morning, and then our theme, 
and something I believe will help us. Romans chapter eight, verse number 31, Paul says this. What shall we say then, or what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are all killed. We are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What an awesome passage. What we find here, Paul describing the victory that we have because of Jesus Christ. And really, the summary of the passage could be Romans 8.37 where Paul summarizes everything up by simply saying, in all these things, we, children of God, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're gonna learn a lot about this verse, be challenged for some things for this year. And I really think if we allow God to speak to us, he'll help us today. And so let's pray and ask him to bless our time. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a minute? And just right there where you are, would you ask God to speak to you? You can pray something simple of God, please speak to my heart. And then make a commitment that if God speaks to you, that you're listening to him, that you'll make a decision based on how he speaks to you. Dear Lord, we just wanna come before you and we thank you for the word of God. I thank you for how you desire to use it to speak to us and to help us. And so, Lord, I just come and uh, want to commit this time to you. And, Father, I pray that as we go through the message today, as we go through the, the scripture and the words before us, God, I pray that you'd speak into my life and speak through me to your people. pray that you'd help each one of us to hear from you, to be challenged by you. And, Lord, that today would be a day that we know that we've heard from you. We love you. We thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> As we find our place in, uh, in Romans 8, if you've been at our church for any length of time, preached a series in Romans, I think it was two or three years ago, but I just kind of want to give us uh, the context. We've, uh, I say the phrase often, context matters. And so we need to know kind of what's going on in the book of Romans. If you were to go 
and do some research in Romans, you would find it's written by Paul, the man whose name was Saul, and of course trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. God changed his name, changed his identity, and then would use Paul to start a number of churches. Paul would travel really the known world at the time, establishing the gospel, establishing gospel preaching churches and establishing churches that believe that Jesus is the truth and the way, the truth, and the life. And and so Paul would be one traveling around. Well, there was a certain place that he wanted to travel, but he hadn't yet been to. It was the place of Rome. Rome, of course, the capital of the known world at that time. Paul had a great desire. You can go read Romans chapter number one, where Paul lays out his desire to travel to Rome and to be a blessing and an encouragement to the believers at Rome, but then also to reach more people with the gospel of Christ. But since Paul couldn't go to Rome yet, he decides to send a letter. He finds out of somebody going uh, from where he was currently located all the way to Rome, and he thought, hey, I'm gonna write a letter, and if you would take it to the churches that are at Rome. Rome, Romans 16 lists a number of people. Most of those people would have led a house church in Rome at the time. And so Paul says, hey, I'm going to write a letter. Paul had a great intention with this letter, and he had, he had the word we would use, and we use it often, intentionality. He wrote the letter for a purpose. The purpose was uh, a number of things, but specifically, The purpose of Romans, the letter of Romans, was to really help solidify the Romans in knowing what they had in salvation. Because most of them would be Gentile believers, people who didn't grow up knowing about the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, and different things that Jews would have been uh, enlightened to because of the Old Testament and because of the writings that they had. And And so Paul writes to really help them understand, hey, what you have in Jesus Christ is is an amazing truth, salvation that is sealed and changes your life and changes your identity and changes. And Paul just goes through uh, so many truths in the book of Romans. Well, when you come down to Romans chapter number eight, we don't have time to get to the whole book, but when we look at Romans eight, the big focus that Paul has, and specifically right here in the uh, middle to latter part of Romans 8, is he's writing about the amazing blessings of being a child of God. Just the blessings of being a child of God. Romans 8, 15, that when we get saved, we receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, in Romans 8.20 or 8.21, right in there, talks about the spirit that uh, makes, inter- or, uh, makes uh, intercession for us and the spirit that works within our spirit. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. All of these things are like, hey, now that you're a child of God, there are so many blessings. There's so many benefits waiting for you. We're all, uh, we're all familiar with the phrase, what's in it for me? You know, whether it's a kid on the playground making a trade, well, what's in it for me? Or a business dealing, well, what's in it for my business? Or a family dealing, well, what's in it for me? There's a lot of people, when they receive Christ, they wonder, what's in it for me? What, what does being a child of God really mean? This is what Paul addresses. I want you to notice with me a few of the thoughts that Paul gets at today, a few of the benefits, a few of the great blessings of being a child of God. Number one, I want you to see with me this morning that if you know Christ as your savior, then you can know that God is for you. You can know that God is for you. Notice our passage, Romans 8, 31 and 32. Paul asks three questions. 
What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not uh, with him also freely give us all things? These three questions that Paul asked, the very first one is, what shall we say then to these things? Or what shall we then say to these things? These things is referring to a number of truths that Paul has already listed about being a child of God. Truths like we mentioned, that we've received the spirit of adoption, that his spirit, bear, his spirit bears witness with our spirit, that there is no condemnation. He, he's uh, speaking of truths like Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so Paul, that first question, what shall we say to these things? He's like, hey, what response do we have? This is, this is, these are amazing truths. What response can we really give? What argument can really be thrown back at the truths that have been presented? That's the first question. What then can we say to these things? Or what, what can we say to this? Second question. If God be for us, who can be against us? Hey, if God, if God be for us, who can be against us? If, if all of these things are true, then what does the child of God have to worry about? You see, sometimes you and I, we are like Jacob in Genesis chapter number 42, when Jacob cried, all these things are against me. You ever go through life and think, man, the world is against me. My family's against me. The kids are against me. My boss is against me. You know, we go through life thinking that. When actually, if you're a child of God, everything is working for you. So the question then, if, if God's for you, then really, who can stand? Who can be against you? As a believer, I can enter every day knowing God is for me. Well, what can solidify this? How can I really know that God is for me? Third question. How, uh, here's what he says. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, question, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Basically, Paul is saying this. Hey, listen, if God gave his son for you, when you were a sinner, he gave his son for you. If God did that, then why wouldn't he continue to give to you once you become his child? If he gave his son for you when you were still a sinner, now that you're his child, you can rest assured that he is for you. He gave his son to redeem you. So why do you doubt that he will continue to work in your life? Man, you are an adopted child of God. And if, if he did that when we were still sinners, then why do we doubt that he'll give to us now that we're redeemed? I love how one man put it. If when we were sinners, God gave us his best, now that we are God's children, will he not give us all that we need? Basically, in all of these truths, Paul is simply saying, hey, God is on your side. God is for you. I love what one author said. He wrote this. The strength of any possible adversary is utter weakness compared with the omnipotence, the all-powerfulness of God. What an awesome thought today. Man, what a great truth for every believer to remember as, uh, and to fall back upon. If God's for me, who can be against me? 
I shared the illustration. I've shared it a few times, but uh, uh, Daniel Blim, who just moved, you guys pray for them. They made it to Lancaster. They're there. Today's their first Sunday. But when Dan and I were kids, we would ride uh, BMX bikes, and Dan would do these really cool tricks, and I would just kind of follow him and be doing that. And uh, I remember Greeley had a, had a BMX track. And every now and then on Sunday night after church, my dad would say, all right, boys, load the bikes up in the car. We're going to go to the BMX. We're going to get some Dairy Queen and we're going to go to the BMX track. So we'd go to Dairy Queen and we'd get a, a blizzard and then we'd go to the BMX track. There was one particular time. And of course, in Greeley, Colorado in July, uh, it'd be actually kind of like Moses Lake in the winter or in the, in the summer that even though it's 10 o'clock at night, it's still, you know, the sun's just then setting and it's 85 degrees or something like that. So there would be people out at all hours. And we got to the, the BMX track this one particular time and Dan and I began to ride around the BMX track and ride in an area called a six pack, six little jumps that you could hit the first and maybe try to clear others. I always just went over them and that's fine. Uh, but I remember there, there was this group of teenagers we were probably fifth or sixth grade. And there's this group of teenagers, literally, probably about maybe six or seven of them, I don't remember. But they were all just standing right in the middle of this, of this track. And they wouldn't let people ride through. They were intentionally blocking the track and talking. And so people would go and get off their bikes right then and walk the bike around them and then get back on and continue. Well, my dad, he's 6'5". You know, at the time, he was, sorry, at the time, he was in really good shape. And so he played basketball. So he, he walked up to these teenagers and he, he just said, hey. Sorry, Dad. He just said, hey, uh, I, want you to, uh, I want you guys to move. You guys need to move. Uh, the the kid, people are trying to ride here. And those teenagers, they smarted off to him. He said, no, I'm just, I'm just asking you guys politely. Would you, just, would you just go ahead and move? And they smarted off again. And my dad just kind of standing there said, look at me. I'm telling you, you're going to move. What are you going to do, old man? And my dad, honestly, he, he wasn't rude. At least I don't remember it. He might tell the story differently. But uh, I just remember him kind of stepping up and just kind of look at him. I'm telling you to move. You don't want to know what I'm going to do. Finally, those teenagers, I think he even grabbed one of their bikes and kind of pulled it to the side and was like, you're moving. And those kids, they saw it in his eyes. And you know what they did? They were like, okay. And they moved. Man, you know what Dan and I did the rest of the time? I'm riding my bike past those kids. I'm like, yeah, what's up now? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I was just staring at them, giving them the eye. I think we were going by like flexing. Yeah, you know what? They didn't move because of me. They moved because my dad was for me. And what a great truth and a great thought for every believer to know that in this course, this race in life that we're in, every now and then there's gonna be obstacles that are gonna bow themselves up and obstacles that are gonna get in your way. And you know what God does? God steps up and says, hey, I'm for them. Hey, I'm for them. What a great truth. Man, if God be for us, who can be against us? Jeremiah said it this way, I know the thoughts, this is God speaking through the prophet, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. 
spoken to Israel, but applies to us. God's thoughts are great toward us and great about us. A few verses before our passage, Romans 8, 27 and 28, Paul wrote this, he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of, the, according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Listen, his purposes in our life are perfect because his thoughts to us are perfect. Because of all this, we can just know that God is for us. The psalmist summarized it in Psalm 40, verse number five, when he said, many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Listen, my friend, the devil likes to climb upon your shoulder and he likes to say, hey, listen, God has left you. God has forsaken you. God has abandoned you. God cannot forgive you. You need to go back to Romans chapter eight, verse number 31 and say, if God be for me, who can be against me? Well, what proof do you have that God is for you? If he gave his own son while I was a sinner to die on the cross for me, then I can know that when I'm adopted into his family, nothing can stand against me. Well, because of my power? No, because of God's power. If God be for us, who could be against us? As I study, I often come across texts or uh, um, comments and quotes, and I found one that I'm reading from an author that Hannah says, babe, don't read from that author because it's always just really deep things but this one is awesome. And so I'm gonna read it, so you need to dial in because it's just incredible. He summarizes this passage with this paragraph. In general, he, Paul, he here makes a challenge. He throw down, throws down the gauntlet, as it were, dares the enemies of the saints to do their worst. If God be for us, who can be against us? The ground of the challenge is God being for us. In this, he, Paul, sums up our privileges. God is for us, not only reconciled to us and so not against us, but in covenant with us and so engaged for us. All his attributes for us, his promises for us, all that he is and has and does is for his people. I love it. I was like, throw down the gauntlet. I read that and I was like, yeah. You know what? That's what Paul is doing. He is simply saying, hey, God's for you. What a great privilege and a great blessing of being a child of God. First blessing Paul looks at is, hey, God is for you. Second blessing, God has justified you. God has justified you. Notice verse number 33. Paul writes this, <laughs> Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Those who are saved. It is God that justifieth. What does this mean? This means that God has declared us righteous in Christ. Satan would like to accuse us, but we stand righteous before God. Why? Because of Jesus. We are God's children, chosen in Christ and accepted in Christ, and God will certainly not ever accuse us. Why? Because he has justified us. 
You see, for God to accuse us would mean that his salvation is a failure in our life and we are still stuck in our sins. Understanding the meaning of justification brings peace to the Christian's heart, knowing that to be justified means I made as just as if I had never sinned. Man, God is for you. God has justified you. The experience of the Christian changes from day to day, but justification being right before him will never change. You see, you and I, we may accuse ourselves, and we often do. Men may accuse us, and the devil, he's called the accuser of the brethren, but the truth is that God will never accuse. God will never lay anything to the charge of his children. Why? Because it is God that justifieth. It is God that makes us right. And if God is for you and giving to you and thinking about you, then who is able to charge you with anything? He has justified you. I am justified by God. And one man said it this way, there is no possibility of any charge being brought against us. Never. Since he is the one that justified, I don't ever need to fear being under condemnation. There is therefore no con- now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I belong to him and nothing can take that away. He has justified me. Paul wrote earlier in Romans chapter five, therefore being justified by faith. Hey, listen, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God will never oppose us. He may oppose our sin, but God will never oppose you. Paul wrote this to Titus. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that mercy was shed abundantly, that being justified, made right by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hey, I've been made right with God. Why? Because of Jesus. And so when God looks at you and when God looks at me, do you know what he sees? He sees the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. John said it this way in 1 John chapter two. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man have, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous because he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know what Paul is saying in Romans chapter eight? He's saying, hey, God is for you. God is on your side. Hey, God has justified you. He has forgiven you every past sin, every present sin, every future sin. It is forgiven. It is under the blood of Jesus Christ. His mercy has shed abundantly into your hearts. And you and I, we have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. Now, what a great truth that you will not, you and I will never stand before God in judgment. We will stand before God as children. God is for you. God has justified you. The third truth, the blessing of being a child of God, Paul writes, Jesus intercedes for you. Oh, Jesus intercedes for you. Notice verse 34. Paul says, who is he that condemneth? Hey, it is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? who also maketh intercession for us. 
if we are justified by the Lord, then we can know that no one can condemn us. And since we are justified before him, and since we have an advocate with him, we can know that he, Jesus, stands as the advocate on our behalf. He is interceding for us. He is standing before God and representing me and you. And again, it's that truth that when God looks at me, he sees his son. And the reason he can do this is because he died. Yea, rather, and rose again. Well, what did he do that for? To prove that he's God to prove that he could be trusted. He was the sacrifice who brings us entrance before God. The author of Hebrews wrote it this way, wherefore he is able also, oh, look at this verse, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people. For this, because this he did once when he offered up himself. Can I just tell you, the same Savior who died for you is now interceding on your behalf. He intercedes for us as our high priest. He gives us grace to come before him in a time of temptation, and he goes before the Father on our behalf. As our advocate, he forgives our sins. Intercession, it means that Jesus Christ represents us before the throne of God, and we never have to represent ourselves. If you have kids, then you know the story of intercession, especially when they have friends over and they want something. Maybe it's time for the kids to ask for something and their friends are over. Who do they send? The friend. When our kids want something, they're like, hey. You know, if someone comes over, like, hey, so-and-so. Go up and ask my parents if. And they're like, I don't want to ask them if, but if you ask, they're more likely to say yes. (laughs) And sure enough, here comes that guest. Hey, so, uh, uh. Hey, what was I asking again? <laughs> what is that? Ah, you know, it's a small picture. It's just, it's just, that's intercession. It's somebody standing before the parent on the other person's behalf. Multiply that by an unthinkable number. And God says, Jesus Christ stands before me on your behalf. Wow. God is for you. God has justified you. Jesus intercedes for you. And then notice this, Jesus loves you. Probably some of my most favorite verses in all the Bible is Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For or because I am persuaded, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is wrapped up in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Simply put, we are loved by him 
and nothing can separate us from him. So Paul's getting that. God has already listened, and don't miss it this morning, and we're coming right down to our theme in the last thought. God has defeated anything and everything that could ever separate you from God. He's already defeated it. Paul lists out a number of things. Tribulation, that's pressures. Can that separate me from God? No. Distress, that's affliction from the outside. Persecution, that's persecution. Famine is hunger or death. Nakedness is emptiness. Peril is danger. Sword means imminent death. And then Paul quotes from the psalmist in Psalm 44 when it's given that God's people have always been mistreated. But in all of this, Paul is saying, hey, listen, no enemy can daunt us. No enemy can attack us. Paul himself, he had faced all seven of those situations and he knew from personal experience that none of them had power to separate his soul, to sever his soul from Christ. And so he says, hey, what can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Can anything, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril or sword? No, we're counted as sheep to the slaughter. Hey, we are always going to be facing the enemy. But then you find the summary verse. Nay, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Can I just say this morning, while you and I, we have security in Christ, we'll never lose our salvation. What we need to recognize is that when you and I trusted him, not only do we receive salvation that is secure, but we receive a victory that is complete. We are more than conquerors. It says through him that loved us. And because of Christ, we're more than conquerors. And here's why. The phrase more than conquerors, it means to gain a decisive victory. To gain a decisive victory. You've probably seen sports or played sports and you've probably heard of the mercy rule. The mercy rule in sports is once you hit a certain lead, if you're playing baseball and you're up by 10 runs, you need to show the mercy rule. You need to put in the B team or the C squad. Let them finish the game. And instead of winning by 18, you're gonna win by nine. The mercy rule in basketball. Hey, uh, once you're leading and it hits the third or fourth quarter and you're leading by 50 or 70 points, you need to put in the scrubs because you need to just give them number one, give them playing time, and then you're still gonna win the game, but you'll only win by 30 instead of 100. That's the mercy rule. Some coaches play by the mercy rule. Other coaches play by the more than conquerors rule. What is the more than conquerors rule? Here's the phrase, more than conquerors, the phrase we would use is this, run up the scoreboard. That's what it means, to run up the scoreboard. Maybe you've played in a game or you were watching a game. You ever seen a team just run up the scoreboard? 
I remember I've coached basketball, and there was a, a tournament we went to one time. I think it was in Joplin, Missouri. I was coaching a team in college, and uh, I was in college. It was a high school team that I was assistant coach on, and we went to this tournament. And I'm pretty sure it was at this tournament that we watched a team literally just run up the scoreboard. They left their best players in on this team, and I, I don't know how much they won by, but it's like a high school basketball game, and the team wins by, you know, uh, 70. Just recently in Texas, I saw a team that won their game, football game, 90 to zero. Football. That's called running up the scoreboard. To gain a decisive victory, it means this. There's nothing in question. You're not gonna wonder. I wonder if that team could have come back. You're not gonna wonder, ah, you know, if it didn't come down to that last minute, you know, that last second overtime buzzer beater, they, they could have won. No, to gain a decisive victory means that there is absolutely no argument. Well, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have already won. God has already gained the decisive victory. But you know what you and I get to do and what the scripture teaches that we get to do? We get to keep winning small little battles. Oh, we don't win them because of us. We win them because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so every single time that you and I accomplish something for God, you know what we do? We just add a point to the scoreboard. We just run up the score. So here's the thought that every time you and I step out by faith, God says, I'll use that to drive the score up. Every time you knock a door or tell someone about Christ, God says, I'll use that to drive the score up. Every time that you uh, give an offering or you support a missionary or you uh, simply speak an encouraging word to somebody, every time you complete something in the word of God or read a verse that ministers to you, every single time that you and I take a step of faith, God says, I'm going to use that to run the scoreboard up. And anything that you and I do, it just simply adds to his victory. Oh, it's already a decisive victory. The Lord doesn't need us, but God uses us. So in 2020, we're gonna be challenged to run up the scoreboard. What's that mean? Hey, take steps of faith. Hey, this year, add to his score. How? Through him, through his power. Take the steps of faith that he asks you to take. Why don't you think about it this way? If we had a scoreboard, the devil, he's going to, he's gonna put up his points against you. The devil's gonna say, hey, look in there, look in your heart. You have, uh, you have some hatred there. Hey, look in your heart. There's some anger. There's some bitterness. Hey, look at you. You've got some deceit. Hey, you've got some lust. Hey, you've got pride. You've got some fear. You've got self-reliance. You've got anxiety. Look at all of this. God is not for you. God can't forgive you. God can't. And the devil is going to continually present you arguments. Why? Because he wants you to stay a loser. He wants you to stay defeated. He wants you to think, I'm not accepted by God. He wants you to think, how could God accept someone like me? He wants you to think, how could God forgive me? He wants you to think, oh, look, now I've done it. I call myself a child of God. Man, face it, the Lord is against me. And yet, Paul is writing to simply say to you, God has already given you his answer. See, on one side is the score of the enemy, hate, anger, bitterness, deceit, lust, pride, fear. On the other side is the score of the Lord. And he says, hey, you're justified. 
Hey, you're forgiven. Hey, you're adopted. Hey, you are restored. Hey, you are redeemed. Hey, you are saved. And here's how Paul summarizes it in the book of Romans in chapter number six. Paul says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know what that means? It means that all the hate that the enemy says is in your life, God says, I've forgotten it. It means that next time the anger, that, that, that anger wells up and the Lord says, or the, the devil says, I can't forgive that, God says, already forgiven. Bitterness, it's gone. Deceit, it's gone. Lust, it's gone. Pride, fear, anxiety, whatever it may be. Here's what the devil says. Where'd my score go? Where'd my score go? And you know, God says forgiven. It's still there. You're still adopted. You're still justified. You're still restored. If I had a big marker right now, I'd just write grace right across it. Why? Because of the conqueror. Oh, see, it's not you that conquers. Oh, this, this passage, it doesn't mean, hey, if you do these things, then you will be great in God's sight. No, it says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know what you and I get to do in 2021? We get to say, you know what? I'm gonna embrace my identity as a conqueror. I'm not gonna embrace the identity the devil gives, defeat, loss, loser. I'm not embracing it. No, in 2021, I'm gonna realize that because of Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors. So this morning, I wanna encourage you with a few simple thoughts. If nothing can separate you from God, if you are more than a conqueror through him, then this week, don't give in to defeat. This week, don't give in to discouragement. This week, don't give those things easy entrance into your life. This year, decide that you're going to live a victorious Christian life. Well, how do I live in victory? You already have it. <laughs> if you know Christ is your savior, you can walk in victory every day. It doesn't give you freedom to live arrogantly. It doesn't give you freedom to go over the speed bumps and look at the devil and think, look how tough I am. No, it gives me freedom to realize that I, because of Christ, I have defeated. I am not defeated. I am conqueror. Why? Because of him. And so what can I do? Well, what I can do is I can say, since I'm a conqueror, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take those steps of faith and allow the Lord to use it to just drive up the scoreboard. I'm gonna take a step of faith this year and I'm gonna reach out and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell that person about Christ that God's been asking me to tell. I'm going to reach out this year and I'm gonna give what God has been asking me to give. I'm This year, I'm gonna reach out and I'm gonna begin reading scripture and I'm gonna stay faithful in the word of God just because, simply because I know it's gonna draw me closer to him. You know what God's gonna do? He will use that every single time and he's just gonna put another point up on the scoreboard, another point for him. He's already gained a decisive victory, but you know what we get to do now? We just get to drive up the scoreboard. Why? Because of Christ. He's already won, but he uses, our, he uses our inabilities and he turns our weaknesses into his strength to just continue to defeat the enemy. 
We, because of Christ, are more than conquerors. I hope that you'll embrace the theme with me this year and determine that this year I'm going to help God run up the scoreboard. Oh, it's really not going to be me helping. This year I'm just going to allow him to use my life. I'm going to allow him to use my life to add to his victory. But this morning, maybe you can't allow God to use your life because you don't have him in your life. I wanna ask every single person the question today, do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your savior? Do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your savior, I wanna tell you that this victory, God desires for it to be in your life, but it can't be in your life unless you've received him as your savior. Have you received Christ? Do you know him? If you're with us this morning, maybe in person or online, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Word of God says that all I have to do is confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart, and he'll save me. Confessing that he is Christ, that he is the Messiah who lived a perfect life and died for my sin and was buried and rose again, and he did it for me. Confessing my need to him. This morning, he has victory waiting for you. If you don't know him as Savior, he has victory waiting for you in receiving him as your Savior. If you do know Christ as your Savior, let 2021 be your year of being more than a conqueror. Continue to gain decisive victories through him, not through you. Embrace the relationship, understanding that every single step of faith you take, God uses it to just add to that victory. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.